0: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Welcome to Brain Stuff from How Stuff Works. Hey Brain Stuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. To many Americans, the United States southern border seems nothing short of a long, hot mess. Traffic jams at major city crossings, miles and miles of barren, unforgiving desert, drug smugglers, armed guards, illegal immigrants, walls, fences, barriers. The U.S.-Mexico border is a flashpoint, especially now, a political and literal line in the sand waiting to be crossed. Name a problem that America faces today, economic, social, moral, and somebody, somewhere, will blame the border for at least part of it. This winding, raggedy, roughly 2,000-mile boundary that's about 3,200 kilometers has become as much about symbolism as sovereignty. It delineates where two nations start and stop, certainly, and what happens there, at least partially, defines both. We spoke with Benjamin Johnson, a border expert and history professor at Loyola University, Chicago, and the co-author of Bridging National Borders in North America. He said, In some ways, I think actually people pay too much attention to the border. I think that a lot of the things that are quote-unquote problems on the border are manifestations of larger problems that didn't start on the border and aren't going to be fixed on the border. The U.S.-Mexico border as we know it today has been around only since the mid-1800s, mapped out after the U.S. annexed Texas and won the ensuing Mexican-American War of 1846 to 1848. The area, of course, was contested long before that, with Native Americans, including Aztecs, Comanches, and Apaches, Spanish, and Mexicans all laying claim to the borderlands at one time or another. Today, the border runs from the Pacific Ocean to the Gulf of Mexico, making up the southern edges of California and Arizona, part of New Mexico, and the entire southern side of Texas. It follows the Rio Grande River, in Mexico called the Rio Bravo del Norte, from El Paso to the Gulf of Mexico. The biggest cities along the way are San Diego, California, Nogales, Arizona, and El Paso, Texas. Those are the spots that many think of when they think border. Crowded crossings with fences and checkpoints manned by police and immigration officials. Most commercial traffic and legal immigration takes place there. But the border has a total of 48 places where people can legally cross— Outside of those 48 are hundreds and hundreds of miles that are largely unmanned by law enforcement, often marked only by low fences easily crossed on foot, if you can make it through the desert and terrain. We also spoke with Eva Dujoniet, a professor of anthropology and social studies at Harvard and author of Threshold, Emergency Responders on the U.S.-Mexico Border. They put it this way, it's really a patchwork of busyness and emptiness, chaos and order. The U.S.-Mexico border, especially in the bigger cities, is a living, thriving ecosystem unto itself. Millions live and work in the immediate area. Along with thousands of border agents and immigration officers are restaurant and retail workers, doctors, lawyers, educators, you name it. Zuzhaniet said, the people who live near the border live there often because of the border, either because they have family on both sides and it's easier for them to be part of that family, or because the border creates opportunities. Some in the U.S. will go to doctors in Mexico, while some who live in Mexico will send their kids to American schools. Binationals often move between the two countries, sometimes daily, often during long waits to cross the border. Then there are those whose families have been there for decades, whose ancestors can be traced to a time well before the U.S. existed. Dujonet said, for those people, it's the border that has crossed them. Their communities were split in half by the border and the fence. According to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, some 50,000 immigrants crossed the southern border in May 2018, some illegally, some who turned themselves in. It was the third straight month of 50,000-plus immigrants. Authorities expect many others slipped through undetected. If you listen to some politicians and pundits, these illegal immigrants are the genesis of any number of problems that the U.S. faces. They occupy American jobs, don't pay taxes, and take government handouts. They smuggle drugs, crowd schools, commit heinous crimes. President Donald Trump says they infest our country. Others claim that immigrants and undocumented workers boost wages, grow the economy, commit crimes at a lower rate than the public as a whole, and enrich the American culture. Dijoniette said, The communities that live by the border, both Republicans and Democrats, Americans and Mexicans, they see this issue much more reasonably. It's part of their everyday life, and they know that this has nothing to do with security. For instance, American towns like El Paso are just across the border from Mexican towns like Ciudad Juarez, which has one of the highest homicide rates in Mexico. But El Paso is one of the safest communities in the U.S., DeJunyat said, No crime is pouring through the border. Only those people that live in the region understand that. Trump, of course, trumpets a zero-tolerance policy toward illegal immigration. He declared it a crisis earlier this year and ordered in the National Guard to protect the border. He promised, famously, to build a wall to keep illegal immigrants out. All of this, Johnson says, misses the point. He said, As a historian, there seems to be a widespread assumption that we used to be in control of the border, and that at some point, we lost that. And if we hire more people or use certain technology like drones or sensors or build a fence, that we're going to get that back. That's just not the case. I don't know a single point in history when the government actually determined who and what got to cross and was successful in implementing that vision. This is not about the border. This is about these other things, and we just see them at the border. All those other things—economic disparity, racism, nationalism, fear, anger, and crime, just to name a few—that seem amplified at the border do exist in other places, too, from Chicago to Washington, D.C. to Seattle. Jeanette said, The border became this site, an object, a metaphor even, where we misplaced very real economic insecurities and social anxieties, so it is the wrong answer to very important questions about the conditions of our society. Still, the U.S.-Mexico border, thanks to decisions made in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere, remains a flashpoint. At least away from the border, passions run high. Rhetoric runs wild. Johnson said, It hasn't always been this way, and it won't always be this way. Decades from now, when a quarter of the United States is of Latino descent, I think we're going to have a different politics and a different society. I think we're at the high point of a kind of sound and fury on this. Today's episode was written by John Donovan and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other current topics, visit our home planet, howstuffworks.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment...